Hello, and welcome to the Paul Cardall Podcast. I have music that I've recently released, you might not be aware of, A Grief Observed. This is a piece that has been appreciated by many critics. I am grateful that it is resonating with so many people. A Grief Observed, it's inspired by C.S. Lewis' book, A Grief Observed, about his wrestle with God in trying to understand grief. You can go back and listen to some previous episodes about grief and the song A Grief Observed. Before that, I released 13 new original pieces, piano and light orchestration, on Return Home. Return Home is inspired by the lands of my ancestors, and many of those lands are probably where your ancestors came from. So it's a reflection of our roots and the love we have for what was passed down to us and the way we connect with family. So you can find that music by going on my website, paulcardell.com. Of course, you can also find it on any music platform where you like to listen. The sheet music is also available. It's on my website, paulcardell.com. You're in for a treat today. This is the best of the chosen. On previous podcast episodes, I was fortunate to interview three of the actors and Dallas Jenkins, who is the writer, director, and creator of The Chosen. So you're going to hear the very best of these conversations. And I think what's unique is I've not heard other interviews where Jonathan Rumi is so personal, along with the other two actors, Noah James and Jordan Walker Ross. Jordan Walker Ross plays little James. Noah, Noah James plays Andrew, and Jonathan Rumi plays Jesus. Jonathan is being interviewed on almost every major media outlet from the Today Show to The View. I also want to plug the incredible documentary about Jonathan and his uh, sudden uh, rise to being so famous that everybody uh, wants to meet him, get a photo with him. And there's a documentary about how he wrestles with becoming famous overnight from this man who pretty much was a janitor of his apartment complex to where now he is um, somebody that is very hard to get on an interview. So it's called Jonathan and Jesus. It's on Amazon Prime. Again, Jonathan and Jesus on Amazon Prime. Well, this TV show to date, according to Forbes, has been seen by over 200 million people. They've at least watched one episode, according to Forbes. Now we're in season four. My wife and I are going to go see episodes one through three in the movie theater. We get to see this on the big screen. And then we're going to go to episodes four through seven when that comes out in a couple weeks. I'm taking a box of tissues. I am so emotionally connected 
to these characters because I believe that they were real people and that Jesus was a real person, but he was also God. So I am so excited to present to you the best of The Chosen here on my podcast, The Paul Cardall Podcast. Mr. Dallas Jenkins, how are you? Wow, thank you. That was quite an introduction. Uh, I really appreciate that. It means a lot. And uh, yeah, I can tell you, uh, my heart has been softened in doing this project. The story behind how this project has happened has changed my life as much as uh, the content of the show itself. And uh, I think it's been the the process of making a show about Jesus and how he changes lives uh, has uh, matched what's been going on behind the scenes as well. So uh, I really appreciate you having me on. Obviously, when we talk about a biblical film, a biblical series, what is it that makes it stand out and why has it become this sensation? It's like a, it's like a, a stone cut out of the mountain, as Daniel talks about, that's rolling forth and it's going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. I think that uh, The Passion of the Christ is probably the last Jesus project that united as many people as it did. Um, both Catholics and evangelicals. But when I've talked to some of my LDS friends, uh, they said, yeah, the passion of the Christ was too, too bloody for the LDS crowd. You know, they're the LDS crowd and their depictions of Christ uh, tend to be much more uh, reverent and, and uh, I don't know, heavenly, you know, there's usually light beaming out of his head and whatnot. That's Hallmark. Yeah. I genuinely with this show am focused solely on the stories of Christ and his followers. And, and yes, I've done a lot of scenes and, and dialogue that's not from the Bible uh, from it's from history or from artistic imagination, but it comes from a genuine love of scripture and a genuine love of the gospels. I've been pleasantly shocked uh, and, and thrilled by how much, when you go to the chosen fan club on Facebook, uh, you get, uh, Catholics, LDS, Evangelicals, Messianic Jews, Orthodox, all those people who all, they come there with, with this immense love for the show and this immense love for the portrayal. Of course, then, of course, some, some arguments end up ensuing because people can't help it. But for the most part, we're finding these barriers are breaking down. And I think that's a testament to Jesus and the fact that I am, I'm not going to, I'm not, here's what, I'm not going to brag about my skills as a filmmaker. But I will brag on, my, on what I've been doing more than anything else in the last year and a half, and that's listen. And the reason I feel comfortable bragging about it is because it reflects a, 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 a tremendous attempt on my part at humility. Uh, I'm not a naturally uh, humble person. I think I, I tend to be more of a, um, someone who is very confident because I don't, I don't like to make decisions or say things unless I've really studied them and I've come to a confident decision. So the reason I say that is I've really recognized that for this show's success, I need to step out of the way. And yes, I'm still going to bring my loaves and fish. And yes, Jesus still had the disciples involved in the miracle and he had them do their part. And I'm going to make the loaves and fish as good and healthy as they can be. But what's happening with this show, the feeding of the 5,000, the breaking down of cultural barriers, the breaking down of religious barriers, the breaking down of age barriers, the fact that so many people are coming together with this show. All I can tell you is that I've been really trying to listen when I'm writing and really trying my best to make sure that this show is focused solely on the stories of Jesus and not bring my own biases to it. 
And that's what I think is responsible for it because this show is way better than I am. And the effect that it's having on people is way better than anything I could ever do. There's no amount of success this show could have that would ever lead me to believe that I'm responsible for it. So God is doing something special. When people watch it, they sit, they tend to say the same thing. They say, I can't explain it, but my heart was just like wrecked, but in the best way possible. And the Holy spirit spoke to me and I, that's not me. That's not Dallas Jenkins. I didn't write something going, what I really want to do is make sure that anyone who watches this, their heart is, is broken down by the Holy Spirit. I'm not responsible for that. So um, all I know is I'm going to continue to do my best to listen. And I think if I continue to do that, then what's been happening so far in season one, where God has been kind of connecting what he wants said to what the viewers are experiencing. And I'm just trying to kind of be a, a helpful conduit in that. I think that will continue to happen as long as I continue to try to stay out of the way. You, by whose authority do you teach? Answer me. If you are willing, Rabbi, you know you can't. Hey, I'm talking to you. By whom do you teach? Certainly not the authority of any rabbi from Nazareth. Where did you study? Your faith is beautiful. Son, take heart. Your sins are forgiven. Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Right. But I ask you, which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or rise up and walk? It's easy to say anything, no? But to show you and so that you may know that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. I say to you, my son, rise, pick up your bed, and go home.
gonna we're gonna talk about the chosen, but I want to talk about you. Sure. I I've seen a lot of interviews with you, with you know everybody wants to know about the chosen. Um, I want to know about Jonathan. To my understanding, and and please correct me, your father is Egyptian and Greek Orthodox, and your mother yes is American and Roman Catholic. She uh, yeah she she was raised on a farm in Ireland and and came out in her twenties to the United States. My father was uh, raised in the city of Cairo, and then he uh, traveled to the United States in the mid to late sixties as well, and then they met in New York City. Um, and then started a life and, and I was raised in New York City and then we moved to the suburbs. Uh, and then um, there wasn't the uh, quite, uh, so I was, I was baptized Greek Orthodox and um, my, my parents were married in a Greek Orthodox church. Um, and, and for my mother, like, you know, it's, there was no, they're so similar uh, and um, in, in how, in their, you know, theology uh, um, in, in so many ways that it wasn't a big deal. Um, and then when we moved to um, the suburbs of Long Island, um, there wasn't really an Orthodox community that we, you know, found and then that felt, you know, like home for us. So um, we started going to a Catholic church and my dad well, went to Catholic school as a kid uh, in Egypt. Um, so it was, he was kind of raised with, with both orthodoxy and Catholicism. So it, again, there shifting back was, you know, for, for my dad to shift over, uh, there was no real, um, uh, conflict, you know, um, theological or, or liturgical, uh, or, you know, or, um, religious conflict for him. And so we, we, uh, myself and my sisters made our first communion in our confirmation in the Catholic church. And then, um, yeah, just kind of, uh, so I was raised with the okay. faith. I was in Cartagena on a, a film set with Jim Caviezel. He said that was the best, this is the second most important role for him mm -hmm. other than playing Jesus Christ. And I thought, wow, that's, you know, right. because the man got electrocuted playing. Jesus Christ. Yeah. He ended up having to have <laughs> um, uh, yeah. Yeah. So hopefully, Hopefully that's not the case. No, I go, I go, who knows? I mean, you know, at this point, our my job as a, a faithful Christian, uh, if I'm really walking the walk, is to just uh, offer, my, you know, offer up myself and as, as a vessel for the project and allow God's will to be done um, through me. And if uh, I'm sure there was going to be some kind of suffering and, and as a, as a Catholic, especially, we're we're big on offering up our suffering, you know, or and and uh, in the same way that the saints did, you know, martyrs and people that suffered for years for for the sake of Christ, and it helps it helps deal with the suffering, you know what I mean? To to kind of know that the the person responsible for your salvation went through this already, so uh, it it becomes much easier to deal with suffering when you're offering it up. Um, to to Christ. So if that's if that's what's meant to happen, then so be it. But uh, hopefully, I won't get electrocuted or uh, or have to have uh, surgery. When you uh, decided to move out to LA, because obviously you're close to your mother and your father, uh, a devout religious yeah. home, and uh, you're making this move from a place they know is safe to this big new world out there. What was that like for them? 
Um, you know, I, I don't think it was an easy thing for them to hear, but they, I think they also recognized that God had given me gifts, um, in this arena since I had been working a bit, you know, um, even though it would, it didn't amount in those 10 years to what I was doing 10 years out here. Um, it, it was setting me up for something larger. And I think they kind of knew I felt I was sort of called, uh, or I had, you know, a part of my destiny was, was coming out to Los Angeles. Um, but it was, of course, it was extremely difficult to, to leave them and, and for them to, to see me leave and, you know, I was no longer a, an hour train ride away from, from them coming home every weekend. So, um, uh, so it was, it was tough, but, uh, you know, they, uh, they've been nothing but supportive, um, from, from the beginning, from, from my, yeah. uh, everything I've ever done, they've, they've been supportive of, they, I couldn't ask for two better parents, especially as an artist, uh, in, 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 at that time leaving New York, you know, particularly unstable, you know, uh, circumstances uh, to, to, to come out here. I couldn't ask for, for more support than, than what they gave me. I want to skip to that scene in The Chosen. And we're going to get to the, mm. how you ended up doing The Chosen. But there's a beautiful scene in there where Jesus is with his mom. Actually, that would be a terrible thing to behold. My son. Ah, Andrew, you see, even my own mother will join us in the Song of Miriam. They've run out of wine. But it's only the first day. Yes, and it's all gone. Not a drop left. Why are you telling me this? We can't let the celebration end like this. And Etcher's family humiliated. Boys, uh, go join the others. I'll be right there. Mm. human boy-like mommy-like relationship that is special and fun how does that compare to the relationship you have with your own mom uh well being somebody who kind of works as a, a method actor as we discussed earlier uh, i brought my relationship with my mother into that relationship with jesus between jesus and the blessed mother so uh, for me, I, I, you know, one of the things when you first see us meet in episode five before the wedding of Cana, um, I kind of pick her up, I bear hug her and I spin her around. And, and that was something that I wanted to do because that's how I greet my mother when I haven't seen her in a while. And, um, and my mother's, they're about, funny enough, they're about the same height, my mom's petite. And so it's an easy thing to do. And anytime I pick her up, she's literally like laughing because she just, she, her feet are like two feet off the ground at that point. So, um, it would, it's just a moment of joy for me. And, uh, and I just, 
made sure Dallas was cool with that. And he's like, yeah, yeah, do whatever. So, and he's been, you know, great uh, with, with allowing us to bring our own personal, you know, um, nuggets of, of uh, our, our own lives into the show uh, as through our characters. There's a word called long suffering in the scriptures everywhere. God is, God has long suffering, meaning he can patiently wait for good things to come. And I guess an optimist, that's the only way to survive that is to be an optimist. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what's your alternative? Right. You know, and you've been doing quite a bit. You've done the newsroom, interns, NCIS, you did Ballers, Heart of Dixie, Council, Parenthood, yep. Law and Order. You did a couple soap operas. And yeah. The list goes on. A lot of voiceover work, Wonder Pets. My kids will be happy about that, knowing that oh, Jesus yeah. is on Wonder Pets. <laughs> all, all those things. And um, it, it leads to this massive role that you are now part of, which is you are the main character in one of the most important, what I believe is one of the most important series that has found a way to be self-funded. But he says, we're going to do this in complete, you know, season one, season two, we're going to go all the way to the resurrection slowly and carefully as a character, a way of building the character in such a profound way that by the time we see you crucified, we're all going to be dying inside. Now you have this major role. How did you feel about all that? Knowing that you would be the son of God. Well, you know, I think having played um, Jesus before for Dallas specifically in three other projects kind of gave us that shorthand that um, I knew that we'd have on set. Um, from the beginning, there's, it's, it's been um, made public what the goal is. The goal is, God willing, eight seasons, right, of eight episodes per season for the show. But from the beginning, there's never been any idea that anything is set in stone. The most I knew is that we were moving forward with a series that we would shoot at least four episodes. Hopefully we would get to shoot all eight for a season. And then hopefully maybe we get a couple of seasons. And if we were really lucky, seven or eight seasons by the time the series is done. So I've learned to not think about the, the entire scope of what it is. I think I, my head would probably explode if I tried to really consider what it was that we were trying to tackle here. And I think God is very smart in his design with how he disseminates information um, and, and our experiences on, on earth and in life, um, knowing what we could and couldn't handle. Okay. And I think also keeping us in faith and as, um, as Dallas and his wife, Amanda Jenkins say, uh, keeping us on the, the manna program, the loaves and fishes where, um, you know, with the manna program specifically, it's like, you just get that day's bread, you know, give us this day, our daily bread, not your weekly bread, not your monthly bread, today's bread. Let's eat today and worry about today. Tomorrow has worries all its own. 
So um, I've often uh, re reflected on that and I refer to that in my own life. So um, it's not really, I don't really think about it so much. I just, I know that it's important. I know that there is um, a lot of people that are going to be affected by this. And my only, if I'm lucky on a good day, my only thought is, or my only prayer is that, Lord, let people see not my face today or hear me speaking, but hear Jesus speaking and hear the Spirit speaking through me and, and see Jesus within me um, portraying these, uh, you know, reenacting these scenes out of Scripture. And then everything that's extra biblical, that's in between Scripture, let that be inspired by Scripture and let it be, let it resonate with people so that they turn to Scripture and that they're inspired by the word themselves and to explore and to meet Jesus themselves in the Bible. Now having this, hopefully this uh, relatability that perhaps they didn't have before or, or, you know, debunking these myths about, you know, who the son of God might have been and what it would have meant to, uh, to meet him uh, as a human being on this planet. What's, you know, did he laugh? Did he, did he dance? Did he smile? Did he do these things that we're portraying in the show? And and if we really believe that he was 100% human as well as 100% divine, 100% uh, human and everything of, except sin, of course, if we really believe yeah. that, um, then we have to believe he experienced everything to every degree that we did and then some. So um, that's what we're trying to depict is Jesus' humanity and how and the disciples' humanity, uh, they're not just, you know, icons on stained glass. They are they were living, breathing people like you and I sitting here right now having this conversation. Yeah. And if people can relate to Jesus through their eyes and their experiences then then and be affected by him, then maybe we too can be affected by Christ. It's fascinating way. because I'm talking to you and I'm talking to Jonathan. I don't it, it's amazing how you were able to create you know, under Dallas's guidance, that character that uh, of Jesus, because it's clearly a separate entity from who you are, you know, and in the music world, you have performers, but then when you meet them, they're just, you know, it's just average guys, um, smart, intelligent, creative people under control. Um, humility, I believe is called is strength under control. And uh, you embody that. And yet, You've created this Christ that people are posting images of that Christ as their Christ on mm. Facebook. And, you know, uh, me personally, I've shared a couple things and, you know, I, 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 I witness and I, I share my feelings a lot about Jesus and I've started using that image. And it's interesting because I don't even put Jonathan in that image. That's how well you've done that job. The other thing that you're doing that's fascinating, I know that you do a lot of advocacy work for uh, Catholicism, and you've been doing prayers, prayer hours, nightly. And my wife is Catholic, and so sometimes I, I say, what you know, I lean over in bed and I say, what are you listening to? She goes, I'm listening to Jonathan do the rosary. Oh, wow. Because wow. Wow. it sounds like 
Jesus is doing the rosary for her. And she's having these sacred spiritual experiences. She's drawing closer to her, her, to God because of the work you're doing. And we're just one family, Jonathan. And that's what's brilliant about the gift that God has given you. We never know. We never know the lives that are impacted by the choices we make that are all heart to just be the best we can, do the best we can, and it expands beyond. So I'm grateful for the gift God gave you and the ability to, to, to create what you've created. I do think that it's, uh, it's uh, you know, it's, if we go to the business side of things, it's Oscar worthy, it's Emmy worthy. And I believe you've already won. Wow, thank you. And we will be right back. Not only is Paul a podcast host, but has gifted the world with award-winning music that's brought comfort to millions of listeners in more than 160 nations. His latest album, Return Home, is an introspective listening experience. Each song, carefully crafted, takes listeners on a cinematic journey to the lands of his ancestors. In all, Return Home features 13 songs. From his original piano pieces, Shropshire Hills, Immigrant Ships, The Shores of Normandy, Red Poppy Fields, Fathers and Daughters, Eliza's Theme, to arrangements of popular hymns, I Believe in Christ and Love One Another. Whether you just need to relax, study, meditate, pray, or for some other healthy reason, Paul's music helps create an atmosphere of peace wherever you are. Add Paul Cardall's album Return Home to your favorite platform, whether it's iTunes, Apple Music, Spotify, Amazon, Pandora, or some other. For the sheet music and more information, visit www.paulcardall.com. Noah James. For some reason, someone had told me that NYU had a great acting program, and I looked that one up only. And was like, yes, it does look good. Let me only apply there. And so I only applied, which is like the worst advice anyone could ever give. I only applied to NYU. And I was, I was kind of going, my mom was like, you know, maybe look at some schools on the West Coast. You're close. And, and so I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll look and maybe apply at some point. And so like not paying attention. So I auditioned for NYU early decision. And, you know, flew to New York with my mom Mm -hmm. and I go upstairs and, you know, you're waiting with all the other kids and everyone is like, it's the most nervous I had ever been. Mm -hmm. And I didn't even know, like, really, it was, I was very, uh, ignorance is bliss. I didn't understand like how many people are going to be auditioning or anything like that. But so I'm there, I do it. And then I get home and I'm like, all right, let's take a few weeks off. And then I can look at the other colleges, see what's going on. Now, when you're auditioning, you're doing like a monologue of some kind. I did two. I is that right? I did two monologues. Mm-hmm. I had a dramatic monologue and a comedic monologue, and then Which I had. Which one did you think was better, comedic or dramatic? They were both probably bad. <laughs> I, I think they both were bad. If I look back, like they. I would have probably said that my dr- dr- dramatic monologue was good. And then looking back, I'm like, what was I doing? Just very strange idea of how to be dramatic, you know, just not, but kids. And I always sort of had a, uh, 
an innate, you know, I, I understood performance and, and how to be on stage and, you know, make people laugh. So I got the comedic stuff and the, the dramatic stuff was, I don't know. I, I, I definitely had to go to school and learn. I'm, I'm happy they let me in. For those that have watched The Chosen, we're big Chosen people. Um, when we saw your character of Andrew, you're very soft-spoken. You're very, you're the mm -hmm. spiritual one because your character is the first to recognize that, you know, Jesus of Nazareth is mm -hmm. the Lamb of God. You were following uh, John the Baptist, as the story goes. John tells you to, to you know, this isn't in The Chosen, but go follow the other guy because <laughs> I can't even latch at his shoes or something like that. And but then here's your personality in real life. Like, this is the brilliance of acting. Like, you're so outgoing and fun and comedic, and yet you have this serious character that, I mean, you try to tease Peter a little bit, but it's, it's like one one hundredth of who you are. For sure. No, I'm definitely a, um, a very outgoing, um, an outgoing dude. And, and I think that when I started acting the thing that really made me realize that this is what I wanted to do with my life was the idea that I could live an infinite amount of lives in yeah. one life and, and experience all the things that uh, humanity ha has to experience. And, yeah. and so, you know, what I looked at that I was really excited about with Andrew was I loved, I loved the idea of that, that brother sort of in the background, whereas I'm, you know, used to being on stage, used to being yeah, in the, yeah. you know, as an actor, I like the idea of, of being in the background, trying to just, you know, work things out as best as possible intellectually, yeah. not the one to run into a fight. Um, but, part. right, yes, exactly. But then when, you know, in episode four, um, when I run, you know, all the way from John the Baptist and from seeing Jesus. Um, it's like leaping right away. When that's, you know, makes itself known to me, um, there's no hesitation. And so I really, really just um, wanted to, I was looking forward to bringing that to, to life. Well, and that's what we see is you have this conviction that Peter does not yet have. And you're there pitching him and trying to really convince him. Right. You found... And and this is what's crazy is you found the Messiah that every person throughout history has been waiting for, mm -hmm. and you just happen to f find him, and then you go and try to convince Peter. And we all know, I mean, it's like Titanic. I mean, we all know what's going to happen. Right. But when you're right there with it, the great thing about this show and is there's major character development. So by the time the ship starts to sink. We're going to be so invested in each character. It's going to be fascinating to see how Dallas and the other writers lead you guys down that fateful road. Oh, we, we, you know, we talk about that a lot because, you know, if all goes according to plan and we're able to, to do this uh, the way they want to do it for, you know, they, I mean, they, they talk about seven seasons of the show and we're just filming the second. Yeah. That is such a, an amazing opportunity to really be with these people for a long, long time. Unlike when you see, a, you know, a movie of it and 
it essentially relies on the fact that you already know the story and then you kind of see the ending. But this is not that. This is really experiencing the interpersonal uh, connections between these people and seeing how at the end that could be so much more momentous because of that. Um, I think that's the goal of, of the show is to really, you know, uh, build that world out. And we will be right back. Not only is Paul a podcast host, but has gifted the world with award-winning music that's brought comfort to millions of listeners in more than 160 nations. His latest album, Return Home, is an introspective listening experience. Each song, carefully crafted, takes listeners on a cinematic journey to the lands of his ancestors. Add Paul Cardall's album, Return Home, to your favorite platform, whether it's iTunes, Apple Music, Spotify, Amazon, Pandora, or some other. For the sheet music and more information, visit www.paulcardall.com. The one and only Jordan Walker Ross. How you doing? Dude, I'm a huge fan of the work you're doing. You're from uh, Fort Worth, Texas. Yes. Yeah. Born. Uh, I was born in Arlington and then uh, my it was me, my mom, my brother, my sister and my grandpa, who is uh, Barry Corbin, the actor. And we uh, were we all lived with him uh, in this this house in Fort Worth. But we had 15 acres with, uh, you know, a barn and horses and longhorns. And we had a couple bison, but we were always you know, running around, we went on a, a lot of trips and, um, my grandpa would, would be shooting all over. So we, we'd yeah. go with him. Um, he, he did Northern exposure up in yeah. Washington. So we'd go stay with him up there. Yeah. My eyes widened. Cause he's a, he's, he's won a bunch of Emmys for a bunch of stuff he's been in. He was in lonesome dub. Yeah. He, my grandpa, like has always been a great storyteller. Um, and, it, it was fun being on set with him, but I, like early on, I didn't really understand what he was doing. I just knew that was his job. And then eventually I kind of fell into theater when I was six. And that's when it kind of clicked like, oh, this is what I call him manpa. This is what manpa does. Like he he pretends. Um, and uh, then it, then I became more interested in what he was doing. But um, yeah, it was cool. And looking back, it's like, like, you know, uh, Wilfred Brimley and then Ernie Borgnine was a good friend of my grandpa's and, Jeez. uh, even Sam Elliott, you know, who I, I bring up. So, uh, and then getting to work with him on 1883 was cool, but it's like all of these old legends, yeah. uh, and then getting to, you know, have all these interactions with them, many of whom, uh, are no longer with us, yeah. but I, I definitely like, I have a picture with Gregory Peck and oh. Ben Johnson and all these people. And it's like, I'm just really grateful. I got to experience all of that, especially now that I, I understand the significance of it. Yeah. Ernest Borgnine, his performance in Jesus of Nazareth. Right. That forever changed him because he had to play the Roman soldier that was in charge of seeing overseeing the crucifixion. And for me, next to the chosen, that miniseries is very Shakespearean. It, they go all out with all these, you know, British actors and all the yeah. actors in the world. And there's Ernest, this tough macho guy at the end, weeping. Such yeah. an incredible performance. He was so, so great. How fortunate are you to be around such talent? How much of obviously that would wear off on you? And so when did this desire to become an actor 
was it you want to be like grandpa or did it just kind of happen it was it just kind of happened I, I was really shy i had a lot of medical issues so i i was home a lot and uh really just felt comfortable talking to like my immediate family my mom my siblings my my grandparents um so i i had some friends like in school and stuff, but for the most part, I was really shy, really reserved. And one day we went with, uh, I had no desire watching my grandpa in movies and stuff. I didn't, as a young kid, I didn't think much of it, but then uh, we went with uh, some family friends to an audition for a community theater production of A Christmas Carol. And uh, while we were, it was one of those like auditions where you sit in the audience and then they call people up to to sing or to to read or whatever. Uh, but we weren't auditioning. We were just there with our friends who were, and then we were going to go eat afterwards. Yeah. Uh, and while we were sitting there, uh, my mom went to the restroom and they were having young boys come up to, to sing silent night to, in audition for tiny Tim. Uh, and I ended up getting up on stage and singing silent night when I, was, and my mom walked out of the bathroom and just started crying because she was like, he's in front of people singing. Like it, it was something I, I don't know what, came over me but i just felt like i wanted to be up there doing that and then i played tiny tim in that production and from that moment i i'm very fortunate to have found my calling and my passion at such a young age because from then on there's never been anything else that i've wanted to do um as far as a, a work or, or my career goes so um yeah i just have, have stuck with it on you you brought your illness you know i was raised with you know only half a heart and i understand wow. A little bit it's different for everybody you have uh, severe scoliosis and minor cerebral palsy and there was that episode in the chosen where you actually i mean you, you bring that into your acting and you you're saying and i love the uh the little james saying being asked why don't you go ask the lord to heal you what's it like working with jonathan it's great uh you know i uh we it's hard because like for me and Jonathan and me and George, uh, who plays John, we, uh, my relationship with both of them is like, I can rely on them and connect with them on a deep level. I've, I've had very deep conversations with them both. I've reached out to them, uh, both whenever I've, I've needed someone to talk to so we can be very, um, intimate in that way and share our feelings and all of that stuff. But, uh, typically it's hard to tell when any of us are being serious because we're constantly doing bits and constantly, you know, playing different characters on set, or if we're all just out eating or whatever, we're, we're constantly messing around. And there's so many little inside jokes that I, I can't even remember all of them until one of them like mentions it. Um, so it, it's really, really cool because getting to see Jonathan in that light and then seeing him turn on jesus you know in, in in himself and and become this uh this this character and do it in such a believable and authentic way the first time i met him was we were shooting the shabbat dinner scene at mary's house in season one and that was my very first day on set um and i remember just thinking like oh this is cool like our costumes are cool on the monitor it looks really good um you know this if nothing else this will be a good scene for my demo reel and then you know i wasn't expecting it to go on for how how long it's going on but um i just thought i was grateful to be a part of it um and i was talking to giovanni and liz who play thaddeus and mary and just getting to know them and then as we were talking 
uh, Jonathan walks up and I was like, oh, this guy looks like Jesus. And he saw it was like 30 degrees out. Yeah, right. Not a guy that and was- not a blonde hair, blue eyed guy. Yeah. Um, and uh, we, I saw this, I saw him walk up and it was really cold. We were shooting uh and like it was 30 degrees and we had giant coats on we were having to chew on ice cubes to stabilize the uh the temperature in our mouth so you don't see our breath um and uh yeah it was freezing and jonathan saw that i was kind of shivering i had a big jacket on but i was still really cold so he took his jacket off and put it on me um and this was before we had even officially had any introduction uh and i was like this guy's really in character but then (laughs) i realized like that's kind of the type of person he is he he um is very selfless and and you know not to say he's oh he's just because you know every he it's he's very different from his character mm-hmm. um and uh but the the biggest similarity i would say is that he he does always think of other people he is very selfless and he does um you know go out of his way to to help other people and to yeah be there for other people and he's you know he's just a a great friend it's been really really fun getting to work with him and i am i'm looking forward to eventually getting to really like play off of him in a scene where like between little james and jesus you know hopefully that will happen down the road i'm sure i'm sure hey if you're a fan of the chosen you need to write into dallas and say we want more little james parts so (laughs) but no it it was fun to watch uh jonathan he was so nervous meeting the pope and uh you could tell his heart is aligned with that and you got to respect it but you were able to bring in your disability into a scene oh yes was that something that Dallas said, you know, Jordan, you're very open about this. Can we do this? Or how did that come about? So that was um, going into The Chosen. I hadn't booked anything in probably two or three years. It had been a while. I had gotten married, had kids. Um, So I, I didn't really, I was still pursuing it, but I was just like, I was discouraged as far as acting. I wasn't feeling great about myself physically. Um, I was just not in the best place mentally um, either. So it, I was struggling in that area, but I was still pursuing it. I was still going out on auditions, just not booking at all. Um, so I was working as a, an acting instructor and as a uh, admissions rep at an acting college in Dallas. Uh, and it's also a studio that like casting directors rent out space to hold auditions. Um, and I got an audition notice in my email and it said for the chosen, I, like I didn't know anything about it. And it was originally I auditioned for Andrew and uh, Matthew. Uh, so I got the the notice and I was like, okay, cool. Um, but then I saw that I had two, uh, like I had a class at like, you know, 11. And then I had a uh, tour of the school at like 1230 or something. And this audition was like at 12. Ooh. So I was like, there's no way I can get to this audition instead of trying to reschedule like i'm not going to book it anyway i'm just going to cancel it so i was about to cancel it and i noticed on the email that the location for the audition was kd studio which is where i worked uh so and it's a small building so it's literally a 20 second walk from my desk to that room you could control who gets in and right exactly yeah i could lock the door (laughs) yeah Um, and uh so i was like oh cool i'll just you know i have time i can just walk down the hall do the audition real quick 
And doing that, I think I had an added confidence because it was like my turf that it wasn't some strange room or office that I was going to. Um, and they were like, yeah, that was good for the callback. Do it or work on a, uh, a Hebrew accent. So I was like, oh, cool. I guess I got a callback. And then uh, the callback Dallas was there. I did that um, and then left. And a few days later, I got the call that I was little James and uh, I showed up on set and and the chosen, like normally I wear a lift in my shoe, my right shoe to keep uh, my legs the same length. And that uh, kind of limits, it, it tones the limp down a little bit. Um, but when I take the lifts out, like if I'm barefoot or in sandals, then it's a little more prominent and a little more noticeable. And Dallas uh, spotted it and asked me about it on set my very first day and was just like, hey, I was wondering, like, what's your um, disability or, you know, what's what's your ailment or, you know, whatever. And he was trying to be careful in his wording. He didn't want to, which uh, it doesn't offend me at all. But what's like, what's wrong with you? Yeah, right. Uh, so he he um asked me and i explained it to him but deep down i was nervous because i have been you know told by casting directors to lose the lamp i had been told by agents similar things i've been replaced from projects or cut out of projects because it was too noticeable uh so i when dallas said that i was like crap he's gonna cut me out he's gonna replace me like i in my mind started just going wild um so we finished all of season one we did the first four episodes had like a year off in between did the next four episodes and then um a few months after we wrapped season one they were writing season two and dallas texted me and was like hey we want to uh make your disability part of the character uh for season two is that something you'd be open to and i was like yeah sure but uh, I was nervous about that, too, because then the thing I'm most insecure about is going to be front and center for literally hundreds of millions of people to see. Um, and that was a very vulnerable feeling and a scary feeling. But I was like, you know what? I've gotten to acting because I, I love allowing myself to be vulnerable and pushing myself and what better way to to make myself vulnerable than revealing my biggest insecurity to the world uh so i said yeah and then they wrote that uh, amazing scene with thomas um and i've i've gotten hints from the writers and from dallas that there's more to come with all of that uh but essentially um it, it was like it was very cathartic it was like going to therapy almost doing that scene because i'm getting to express my own insecurities and my own th like thoughts that i've had in the past like why did i have to be born this way why me um you know why why couldn't i be like that and you know comparing myself and and uh, comparing my journey to the journey of others i've done that within the acting world looking at my friends that you know, when I was booking nothing and my friends are a series regular on some show and being like, why am I not getting that audition? Like, and, you know, kind of pitying myself. And um, I remember all of the, all of those feelings came back when I did that scene and it, it doing it in a controlled environment in a way that uh, allowed me to express myself was it, it like helped me take a step forward and learning to love and accept that about myself. And I think little James is ultimately on that same journey ultimately he has to understand like you know what not everyone needs to be healed at least not in the way you think you do yeah. um not everyone is entitled 
to being healed. Uh, not it's not something like it's something that just doesn't happen for everyone, and that doesn't mean you have less faith, and that doesn't mean that you um, are less worthy, or that you're not just as capable, if not more so, of you know inspiring others. So um, I think that it's going to be really fun to see little James continue on that journey as I do myself. Not only is Paul a podcast host, but has gifted the world with award-winning music that's brought comfort to millions of listeners in more than 160 nations. His latest album, Return Home, is an introspective listening experience. Each song, carefully crafted, takes listeners on a cinematic journey to the lands of his ancestors. Add Paul Cardall's album Return Home to your favorite platform, whether it's iTunes, Apple Music, Spotify, Amazon, Pandora, or some other. For the sheet music and more information, visit www.paulcardall.com. It's a remarkable, remarkable journey, and you obviously... You know, there's so much ahead for you, not just with The Chosen, but in all these other roles that God is going to bring to you. You know, I mean, it's it's going to be exciting to watch your career continue to evolve and grow. You know, you are becoming a very well-known household name, and uh, that's mm-hmm. got to bring some sense of comfort. And yet, you know, you have to go out and find the jobs and audition and all those things. As we conclude here on on uh, All Heart, I I always ask my guests, and I had Dallas on. I ask my guests, years from now, when we're all gone, what is it that you hope people who knew you remember most about who Jonathan Rumi was? Was he driven? Was he led? Who was Jonathan Rumi? What, what do you um, I think I would hope that people would feel that I sought God with my heart and hoped to encounter him at every turn in my life and to share those encounters with other people, especially those that are searching for meaning in their life. And that perhaps if I could lead them to a deeper experiential relationship with their creator, uh, that would be pretty amazing. What's one thing people can do that you've done to help you feel God's love and grace and the uh, motivation to, to just continue to enjoy this beautiful world that's very complex and a lot of painful. It's a lot of pain in this world, but what advice amidst all the darkness and the sadness, how do you, how do you, how do you bring the light into your life? I'm going to adapt something that I kind of say in my prayer hours. Um, The first thing I would say is be humble. Be bold if you're going to share your faith with anybody. You got to be bold, but you got to be humble and you got to lead with love. But I think that the biggest thing is to be humble, because I think if you if you have a, a sense of humility, everything else has the 
the, the, the soil is tilled for all other human virtues to take root in a person's uh, spirit. And then you're now able to, um, people will want to, they will be open to you. If they think you have a chip on your shoulder or you have ownership on the truth and you know what uh, what God's saying but nobody else does, uh, you, you lost your you you can't you can't be an effective witness. Yeah. So I think the biggest thing is uh, be humble and then everything else will have room to grow. This is the Paul Cardall podcast. Please show your support by leaving a review of the Paul Cardall podcast wherever you listen. For more information, visit www.paulcardall.com.